This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and this is Next Question. Something major happened this week. Breaking news out of Washington, an unprecedented leak from the Supreme Court. The draft opinion, which shows its conservative majority of justices, is ready to overturn Roe v. Wade. The court confirmed the document is authentic, but says it does not represent a decision nor the final position of any justice. This could be the most consequential opinion in decades. Hundreds of protesters rallied outside the Supreme Court Monday evening after news of the court's draft opinion broke. And those protests continued all over the country on Tuesday, including one right here in New York City. A couple of my producers and I headed to Foley Square in Lower Manhattan so we could see and hear how abortion rights supporters are responding to the shocking news. Tell me why you wanted to come down here today. Not only because I've had an abortion, but my daughter is 21, and this is the world she's in right now. So how could we not be here? Anywhere where more than two people are gathered for the sake of reproductive rights is a gathering I want to be at. I came out because I love women. I love the rights to their their own autonomy. I love the rights of humanity and I love the laws of humanity as well. It was important that people were in the streets today, but this cannot be another one-day protest where we register our dissent and then go home and let them strip us of our right to be fully human. Do you mind if I ask you about your sign? It says, I survived an illegal abortion in Birmingham, Alabama in 1969. I woke up this morning and I felt like I had time traveled. I can't believe we're going back to this. We're just regressing so far. And do you remember what it was like before yes. Roe v. Wade yes. was decided? And can you describe it for people who don't? 
Uh, I can remember being in college and knowing of girls in my college who had back alley abortions and some of them suffered grave consequences as a result. There are people finding out that they are pregnant and they don't necessarily want to be or they didn't plan to be or they're thinking about what they're going to do. Um, and I can't imagine being in that situation right now. At the end of the day, like a lot of people um, are lonely and feel like they're alone in a decision or in a problem. Or uh, So coming to where there's like thousands of people or like hundreds of people is just like reaffirming the fact that we are not wrong. I don't believe this is an accident and I don't believe that this is all of a sudden. So for me, Texas was the, uh, the wake up call. And since then, it's been pretty rough for my mental health. How are you guys feeling after this gathering? It feels great, empowering. Also, like, we also know that coming here is just not the end of it. That's why Thursday we're calling for nationwide strikes. No school, no work. You know, if you're calling sick to work, say you're sick of the patriarchy. We're both in law school right now, and so it's important for us to come out here and do this and do our civic duty to protest and hopefully use our legal careers to undo whatever the hell is happening right now. This is the biggest privilege to be here for democracy, for the rights of women. I grew, I raised my children in South in Atlanta and I just moved to New York and this is how it's supposed to be, like here. The news of the leaked draft and its language was stunning, but the fact is it wasn't unexpected given the court's conservative majority. In fact, in anticipation of the official ruling, which is expected to come down in late June, my producer Lauren Hansen and I have been busy putting together an in-depth and nuanced dive into the history and future of abortion access in this country. We've talked to countless people on the topic, abortion doctors, clinic staff, activists on the ground, reproductive justice leaders, historians, people who have had abortions, and so many more. It's been months in the making, and it's coming out in just a few weeks. In the meantime, today, right now, we need to address the big abortion news this week. And to do so, we connected with one of the legal experts from our series, Mary Ziegler. Mary not only helped us understand the leak, but what the draft actually means for the upcoming Roe decision. It feels kind of cavalier. It feels as if these justices are, are siloed, right, from people who disagree with them in ways that are consequential um, and that we see unfolding now. We'll have more with Mary Ziegler right after this. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. 
criminal trials for one of those candidates, young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Mary Ziegler is one of the foremost experts on the long history of abortion and the law. So, Mary, have you had a chance to look over the draft opinion? I have, yeah. And what was your reaction? Um, I mean, in some ways, it's not surprising, given what we heard at the oral argument in December. This is sort of what I was expected at the same expecting. At the same time, I think I kind of can't help but be surprised because I spend a lot of time as someone who studies this talking to people with differing views on abortion. And, and anyone, regardless of their opinion on abortion, should understand that what this is is going to be a very big deal for a very lot of people. Um, and this opinion, it feels like it's written by people who think this is an easy decision. This is not really something that requires a lot of soul searching. Um, and that's really, really striking. I think it, it feels kind of cavalier. Um, it feels it feels as if th- these justices are, are siloed, right, from people who disagree with them in ways that are consequential um, and that we see unfolding now. Politico called this draft a, quote, full-throated, unflinching repudiation of the 1973 decision. Do you agree Oh, yeah, there's no question. I mean, it, it's <laughs> I don't know how much more full throated or repudiation you could have. So that that characterization of the draft is absolutely right. Having said that, how close will the opinion itself resemble this draft? Is there a chance that the language that Justice Alito used in writing it could be softened or altered to be less of a repudiation? 
Absolutely. I mean, this draft is from February. Um, we know historically when um, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the court's 1992 abortion decision um, came out, there were leaks that reported the court was going to reverse Roe. And we know at least one justice changed uh, their mind on that matter between uh, the time of those leaks and the time of a final decision. So it's, it's even possible the votes don't come out the same way. Um, I would be surprised by that, but I think it's it's more likely that some of the language in this opinion the final opinion may change or be softened. Um, the, the effect of the leak is actually interesting because you could imagine some of the justices being more reluctant to make those changes because they don't want to be perceived to, to be caving to public pressure. So how the leak ultimately um, shapes what's going to happen in terms of the final opinion is, is a really interesting question. Given the makeup of the current court, even if Chief Justice Roberts uh, does not agree with this, it is still potentially and likely a 5-4 decision, is it not? It is, unless Chief Justice John Roberts decides that for the good of the court, he's going to join the majority to make the court look more unified. But I mean, I doubt that that would change people's um, perception of this as a, per as a partisan issue, because all of the six justices, should Justice Roberts join that majority, would be Republican nominees. So whether it's well, five or six, it's going to be similar kind of optics. I was going to say, though, my point is it is a fait complete, isn't it? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I hate to say there's never a possibility because Planned Parenthood versus Casey happened. But I would be flabbergasted and shocked if the Supreme Court doesn't overrule Roe um, in June. Right. I mean, I would be pretty blown away. So, I mean, you can never say never because wild things happen, but it would be anyone who's been paying attention to this would be very surprised if that were not to happen in June. Justice Alito wrote, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. Your reaction? I mean, one of the interesting things is that in an opinion that spends so much time on history, uh, the comments that the draft makes about inflaming opinion are without any historical support. I mean, the idea that Roe is what left us with our current political divide um, is something that absolves a lot of people, including the members of the current Supreme Court, of responsibility for inflaming that divide. Um, the abortion debate preceded Roe. Um, it will long outlive Dobbs. Uh, it would it would be great if the Supreme Court could simply wave a magical wand and we would all get along about abortion. But that's never been the way it is and it won't be the way it is now. Um, and the idea that Roe is egregiously wrong, I think, again, um, harkens back to the fact that for these justices, this is not something that requires a lot of thought. Potentially, this is something that's obvious. And that's likely to make people even more bitter and unhappy who who support abortion rights, because this will not feel as if it was a kind of thoughtful difficult, but ultimately necessary conservative decision. This is going to feel like it was something that was automatic. Um, and that's, I think, going to make it sit less well with some people. It sounds as if Justice Alito is opposed to Roe v. Wade because he believes that abortion was never sort of spoken about in the Constitution. There is no right to an abortion. Why, in your view, is that a specious argument? Well, I think that it, the main problem with that argument is simply that it proves too much, right? Because if the, the argument Justice Leto makes is essentially that 
if a right isn't in the text of the Constitution, and if something wasn't recognized as a right at the time the 14th Amendment was ratified, then it isn't a right. So then the question becomes, well, what else wasn't recognized as a right at the time the 14th Amendment was written? Um, interracial marriage was broadly criminal. States were beginning to more vigorously criminalize same-sex sexual intimacy and enforce those bans. Um, the federal government had criminalized contraception and materials on sex education. Um, Laws on voting for people of color were changing in negative and rapid ways. And so if that if that's really the guide, the question is, why is Roe different? Um, Justice Alito's answer in the draft seems to be that abortion affects fetal life and that fetal life is uniquely valuable. But then, of course, that's going to open the door to the argument that abortion is unconstitutional, that this isn't simply a matter of letting states each have their say through the democratic process that this is something that the Supreme Court is going to intervene in yet again by saying abortion has to be criminal. So either way you look at it, um, I think the court's sense that this is just something that the court can wash its hands of is, is disingenuous. I think the court will be encouraging one set of challenges or another, if not both. So do you think this will ultimately lead to a Supreme Court decision outlawing abortion, period, no matter what states want to do or what state legislate, how state legislatures vote? I think that the, the court in this draft is not closing the door on that possibility. And we already know that people in the anti-abortion movement are making that argument. So whether the court is receptive to it, I think, remains to be seen. But this is certainly um, if this draft ends up being something like the final opinion, that's going to supercharge efforts to get the court to declare abortion unconstitutional because people in the anti-abortion movement are going to, I think, correctly view that as an encouraging sign. What does this portend for other pieces or other Supreme Court decisions that have been handed down vis-a-vis -vis things like gay marriage, et cetera? Well, the court in this draft tries, I think, in a sort of half-hearted way to distinguish those things, right? But I think- Well, do you think this is a case of protesting too much? Yeah, I do. And I mean, we've seen this on the progressive side before. Of course, when the Supreme Court struck down bans on sodomy, the court made a point of saying, well, sort of mar marriage is different, right? And then in two, that was in 2003. In 2015, the court did recognize a right to same-sex marriage. So the best way to read that language is the court is not going to overrule those decisions today, but does that mean they're going to overrule them in five years? Who knows? Because the reasoning is the same. I mean, if, again, our guide is what was happening in 19th century America, that was when, you know, women couldn't vote, right? I mean, there were a lot of things that were different in 19th century America, and if that's going to be our guide about the contour of constitutional rights, and if our sense of what constitutional memory comes from is just the black letter of the law, um, it's not clear what the limiting principle is going to be. And we know that Justices Alito and Thomas have already called into question um, the correctness of the Supreme Court's decision recognizing a right for same-sex couples to marry. We know that Republican lawmakers um, during uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson's confirmation hearings have called that that precedent into question. So it's coming. I mean, it's it's just a question of whether the court goes for it and whether the justices who are, you know, in the conservative coalition, the least far to the right, want to embark on a mission of dismantling a wide variety of precedents and not just Roe. There's reason to think that would happen because, of course, we know Roe is the most recognized Supreme Court opinion. And so if this is how the justices behave when everybody is paying attention, you know, are they really going to behave any differently when people aren't paying attention? I would I would submit that the answer to that is probably not. Can you tell us anything about Justice Alito that would help us understand his position when it comes to this draft decision? Yeah, I mean, Justice Alito um, often approaches things. I mean, there's a sort of it's hard to describe, but I think intellectually he's very self-confident and there's almost a sense of um, 
offense he takes when people disagree with him. There's a tone in this draft that that almost ridicules the reasoning of Roe and the people who support it. And that's in keeping with um, other decisions Justice Alito uh, has rendered. Um, We know as well that Justice Alito has a long history of being fairly far to the right on abortion issues. So when uh, he was a justice at the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, he was the only justice to hold that uh, Pennsylvania could obligate um, women and other people who are pregnant to tell their their husbands before getting an abortion. Um, we know that early in his political career, when he was working in Republican presidential administrations, he um, helped write briefs um, in laying out strategy to undo Roe. So intellectually and personally, this draft is not a surprise coming from him. I think the fact that this this would be the voice of the court speaking would be more surprising because this of course, will have ramifications for the court's institutional reputation if this is how the court ultimately ends up, um, for the legacy of all the justices who signed this opinion, not just for Justice Alito. Um, So we we know kind of in terms of where the justices fall, that Justice Alito and Thomas tend to be on the court's furthest right flank. But of course, all of the justices who are part of this opinion, um, it's fair to say this will be their legacy. Um, People will likely not remember almost anything else these justices do uh, once Roe v. Wade is gone. I think this will be the defining moment um, for this court and everyone on it. In fact, Justice Kavanaugh, during the confirmation process, assured members of Congress that he recognized and appreciated precedent and would not tamper with Roe v. Wade. What do you make of that? Well, I think Justice Kavanaugh is a smart man who, you know, didn't really ever issue any guarantees. He said I think Susan Collins, to whom you may be referring in particular, wanted to understand him to mean a certain thing. And he was vague enough that she could hear what she wanted to hear. But he never made any specific guarantees that he would do anything with Roe. And I think anyone who knew his background or knew the reasons he had been chosen would be utterly unsurprised by the fact that he's voting this way. Um, I don't know if Susan Collins knew she was lying to herself, but she was lying to herself. Right? I mean, I don't know if this was a case of her lying to everyone else because she already didn't believe what Brett Kavanaugh was saying. I think it's more likely that she thought Brett Kavanaugh was sincere um, and simply was, you know, it was a case of wishful thinking, I would imagine, more than anything else, because most people who had been paying attention to Justice Kavanaugh are not surprised by where he's coming out on this. Justice Alito claims there is no right, constitutional right to an abortion. But others have questioned, I guess, the the foundation of Roe v. Wade in terms of under the guise of the right to privacy. Um, in, in terms that sort of the average person can understand, can you tell us the foundational principles behind Roe v. Wade and why in some circles they have been controversial? Sure. So Roe v. Wade was um, not based on the text of the Constitution, which, you know, doesn't mention a right to abortion or, frankly, a right to marry or a lot of other rights. And it was a right to vote. (laughs) Right. It wasn't based on the history of the Constitution, because, as Justice Alito rightly points out, at the time the 19th Amendment was being written, no one would have thought there was a right to abortion. The court instead looked at its own precedents, which looked at and developed ideas about autonomy and bodily integrity related to things like marriage and procreation. Um, And that was controversial because I think people thought that by not looking at text or history, the court was sort of leaving Roe open to more criticism. Um, The late Ruth Bader Ginsburg thought it would be better for the court to have relied on the Equal Protection Clause and the idea of sex discrimination to, to 
create a foundation for abortion rights. It's worth emphasizing, though, that this draft is not just an exercise in saying Roe was wrong. It's an exercise in saying there is no foundation for abortion rights, full stop, no matter what you come up with. And the court explicitly says there can be no equal protection rationale, um, ironically, because the court's precedents say there can be no rationale. The reason that's ironic, of course, is the court is dismantling 50 years of precedent um, and then saying part of the reason that that has to happen is because of other precedents saying that discrimination on the basis of pregnancy is not the same thing as the basis uh, discrimination on the basis of sex. So this is the court essentially trying to close the door to any future constitutional argument for abortion rights, not just the ones that Roe relied on. Having said that, would it have been a stronger uh, decision had it been based on, as the late Justice Ginsburg had urged, the equal protection statute? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it would have been a stronger opinion. I think the draft suggests that it ultimately wouldn't have mattered and that if these were the people on the court, they probably would have overruled Roe anyway. It would have made their job harder, right? It would have made it harder for them to say, well, look, here are all these progressives who support abortion rights who've also criticized this decision. But I think at the end of the day, this was about more than just the court's reasoning, although that was certainly important. It goes well beyond that. Did you think there was a chance that they would chip away at Roe and not want it overturned completely? Um, No, I mean, not long term. Like, I think before oral argument in December, I was of the opinion that, so once Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed to the court, I thought it was a lock that they were going to overturn Roe, but I didn't know when it was going to happen. And I thought from the standpoint of just conserving the court's institutional legitimacy, there was some value in, you know, in going through the motions and appearing to take this seriously and making it seem as if it was not just an automatic that when you put certain people on the court, you get partisan outcomes. Um, So I'm, I'm not surprised by the fact that it's happening. I'm surprised by the timing. Um, Chief Justice Roberts clearly thought that there was a chance that the court would potentially do this in multiple steps or maybe even stop at getting rid of viability. There's no sign whatsoever that the the justices have any interest in doing that. It seems that we're headed to a, a kind of absolute overruling and one that's pretty rapid. What is the impact of this decision? It's hard to overstate. I mean, there are going to be impacts on um, on lots of people's lives, people who can be pregnant. Um, just as was the case with the war on drugs, we would expect those impacts to be felt the most acutely by people who are in the most heavily policed communities, who are the people who are most likely to be found out if they're having abortions. There will be people um, impacts on people who never seek abortions because doctors will be reluctant to treat ectopic pregnancies or incomplete miscarriages or other things that may be perceived as abortion because they're unwilling to lose their licenses or go to prison. Um, It's going to affect people in blue states who are going to see people traveling from out of state to seek abortions. Um, It's going to affect doctors in blue states who may be potentially sued or charged with a crime in red states. It's going to shake up the 2022 midterms. It's going to shake up the 2024 presidential elections. And, you know, as a historian, it it also is going to have unpredictable effects, right? I think the Supreme Court felt very confident in 1973 that it knew what would happen after Roe v. Wade was reversed. And of course, we know 50 years later that they were absolutely wrong. Um, And there's no reason to think that we can absolutely predict what's going to happen after this decision in much the same way. How were they wrong? Can you give us some insight into that? Yeah, I mean, Justice Blackmun had a clipping in his files that said essentially, you know, 70 something percent of Americans think abortion should be a decision between a woman and her doctor. The numbers were very similar then as now. And so he thought, okay, well, if if the court says abortion is a decision between a woman and her doctor and there's a sound constitutional foundation for that, people are going to just accept that and move on. And we know that didn't happen. 
This Supreme Court somehow seems to think that if it sends this back to the states with lots of winks and nudges, that maybe other precedents can be overturned and maybe fetal personhood is going to be recognized, that this is going to go away. When that opinion will be running against popular opinion, that's insane, right? So people are sort of like, this is all over, just really whether they're pro-choice or pro-life are not paying attention. Like this is going to just be the opening salvo in a much, much longer battle um, and people, I would imagine, who support abortion rights are going to be in this for the long haul, too. And we may be looking at, you know, decades down the road, a Supreme Court decision reinstituting abortion rights. So if the court thinks it can put an end to this one way or another, or it can remove itself from the conversation, it has another thing coming. Well, what about some kind of congressional action codifying a woman's right to choose or reproductive rights that would uh, do an end run around the Supreme Court? How possible is that? It's it's not possible given the votes at the moment. And now it's fraught with peril because we know that Republicans have you know announced plans that if they retake the House and, and uh, Senate in 2022 and a Republican is in the White House in 2024 and the filibuster is gone, which is what it would take to pass federal legislation protecting abortion rights, that Republicans would use their opportunity to criminalize abortion rights nationwide. In other words, to ensure that blue as well as red states cannot allow abortions. And so I think the question for Democrats is going to be, you know, how confident are they um, if they're going to get rid of the filibuster that things are not going to get really bad thereafter? Um, because this will, of course, when it comes to abortion, raise the stakes dramatically, not just of state and local elections in terms of like, who is your prosecutor? Are they going to use resources to prosecute people for abortion? Um, but also, you know, national elections, because Congress may be in a position now, you know, either to codify abortion rights or codify fetal protections. Well, what about taking action prior to the midterms when there are Democratic majorities, barely, you know, razor thin in the Senate, but in the House, uh, could some kind of action be taken prior to that? And do you think this will change uh, what we see happen in the midterm elections? Because suddenly 69 percent of the population has been galvanized to get out and vote. Yeah, it may well. I mean, I think the question and this is really going to be for people listening to this is like, how much do you care? Right. We know that 70 percent of people say they don't want Roe to be overturned. But when the rubber meets the road, like, is that a basis people are actually going to vote, right? Or is it going to turn into like, well, I don't really like this person's position on abortion, but I like their position on taxes or I like their position on fill in the blank other issue. So it really depends on how people operationalize how they're feeling about this decision. And we just don't know the answer to that. Um, interestingly, both people who are pro-life and pro-choice are saying they feel this helps them. And that's how unpredictable it is, right? Everybody is like, this is great for us. Because we, we don't really know um, who has that right. And of course, if you're listening to this, you get to decide, right? I mean, you get to vote. You get to decide if you're going to be politically active on this. Um, and so I, I don't know the answer to that, but that's going to be in the hands of the people who are listening to this. In fact, Justice Alito writes in this draft, women are not without electoral or political power. The percentage of women who register to vote and cast ballots is consistently higher than the percentage of men who do so. Right. I mean, so be careful what you wish for. Right. But I, I think that's that's right. And so um, whether and I, I think that's really um, the question. And I think it's important to emphasize not just what happens in, in, in Congress, but what happens in state elections, because one thing that's pretty clear for anyone who studied this is that progressives have been getting massively out strategized in state elections for a long time, which is one of the reasons why states have become these laboratories of anti-abortion legislation. Um, and that's true in states 
like Wisconsin, Michigan, Florida, and so on that are politically contested, not just in red states. And it's true in red states that seem to have majorities that are not particularly opposed to abortion. And so uh, it's an, if this is an issue you care about, it's worth paying attention to state and local races, even when those aren't kind of the glamour races you're hearing the most about in the news. After the break, we go back to the abortion rights protest in New York City to hear one woman's harrowing story of her illegal abortion in 1969. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Remember that protester from the top of this episode, the one who had the sign that read, I survived an illegal abortion in Birmingham, Alabama in 1969. The protester's name, Angela Fremont. She spoke with my producer, Lauren Hansen. And just to note, this story contains a detailed description of an illegal abortion. I was living in Miami when I got pregnant with my grandmother and when I, sh- I couldn't couldn't tell my grandmother that I was pregnant. Um, I had a I had a job. I was 18 years old, and I had a job working at a land development company. And the nurse that worked there gave me a phone number, and I went to a payphone outside on the street. And the phone number that I called was a a doctor in Alabama, and that's how I wound up in Alabama. And the doctor, when I got there, 
examined me and said, you're too far along, I'm not going to do the abortion. Yeah, he said, but I know somebody. So it was like a bait and switch kind of thing. And uh, I don't think he ever intended to do the abortion. He just passed me along to this abortionist who drove me out to, down a dirt road to a shack where there was two sawhorses and a sheet of plywood and three dogs that had been locked up inside the shack with urine all over the floor and a rubber hose um, that she explained she was going to push through my cervix into my uterus and then use cotton batting to support the hose and keep it uh, from slipping out and that I had to keep it there for 24 to 36 hours and that air would pass through the hose and I would spontaneously abort. Um, but after about probably 30 hours I was hemorrhaging and um, I had gone back to Tallahassee to be with friends there and um, they got scared. They pulled out the cotton batting and I was a mess. I had a fever and they put me in the car and dropped me off outside the hospital. And the hospital that I was brought to, um, ooh, things are getting really exciting here. Um, uh, they did a DNC on me and um, the police eventually gave up questioning me asking me who had done this to me and I in my mind I thought uh, if I if I told them that somebody else had done this that um, I was I'd be implicating somebody that I would go to jail so I I, I so I just kept saying that I did it to myself Having an illegal abortion is something no one should have to go through. And um, in 1973, after Roe v. Wade, um, we all celebrated. We were so happy. It was such a it was such a national relief for women. It's really important to talk about this because it's it's super fucked up right now. This is really not good because women in Oklahoma need to have access and in Texas and in North Dakota and in South Dakota and in 26 states across the country at least. They need to have access. We are safe here. It's not fair. And we have to speak out. There will be so much more to tackle in our special series on the end of Roe and the history and future of abortion access. The special series launches June 2nd, right here in my next question feed. Don't miss it. Thank you so much to Mary Ziegler and to all of the protesters who took the time to speak with us. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. 
The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen, associate producers Derek Clements and Adriana Fazio. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecurric.com. You can also find me at Katie Couric on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.